Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adamizenauer. And Happy New Year, everybody! It's our first show of 2022. Although, depending when you listen to the last episode, that would be our, our first show of 2022. But this is our first proper recorded show of 2022. How did you guys bring in the new year? Oh, just the, the usual. I had a torchlight procession through the streets as if I was back in Scotland. I got a little bit snowy, had a mince pie, some Baileys, an iron brew, some sausage rolls. My usual healthy Scottish New Year. What about you guys? Quiet? Spent most of it with Stella. Uh, don't tell Sadiq. Uh, but no, Stella, or Stella Artois. Um, and well, mostly with She's the family. Nice. Uh, mostly with the family. I think I saw Stella Artois in RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> I, uh, I just hung out with family. Yeah. I, I, I'm not a big New Year's person. I, I genuinely don't like New Year's time. I never have. I don't really know why. I find it quite a maudlin time of year. And it's just an excuse for folk to drink too much in, in Scotland, and then chaos bre- breaks out usually. But I, I tried to do something different, like during, when it actually turns into New Year, so I could say I spent like two years doing something. I remember once when I was like in my teens, I I spent New Year's on the toilet, so I could say that I spent two years on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> we we did go to I can't remember the name of the place now. Um, it was a it was a torchlight procession through the streets, and it was just a an old traditional ceremony. It, it was wonderful. It was somewhere in Perthshire, the name totally do you mean escaped me. Torches and like fire or fire, yeah, like, fire. Okay, because I thought you meant flashlights, possibly. No fire. Anyway, let, let's just let's move on from our our New Year celebrations. This is our penultimate sort of year in review shows that we're doing. And the, the last two shows that we're going to do, we're going to be focusing on the Canadian national team setups. Next time round, we're going to be looking at the, the women's team and their wonderful gold medal win and chatting about women's soccer in Canada. We'll, we'll have our good friend Harjeet Jahal on the show. In this episode, though, we're turning our attention solely to the Canadian men's national team. And what a year. Canada 
started it with a January preparation camp. There was uncertainty over where and if, really, the World Cup games would and could have been played. But then they ended 2021 on top of the world. Well, on top of CONCACAF, which is like the world. They're leading the octagon. They've got one foot on their plane to Qatar. Hopefully they've got hotel accommodation booked because I, I was reading a thing that you can't get any hotels in Qatar at World Cup time at the moment. Whether they're all suddenly going to open up at extortionate prices, I guess we'll find out. Canada started 2021 72nd in the FIFA World Rankings. They finished it in 40th spot. Their joint highest ever position, which I'm pretty sure is going to be exceeded in 2022. They did reach that those dizzy heights before in December 1996. They're still two places behind Scotland though, so just cool your jets on that one, guys. <laughs> Scotland went up 10 places this year, just as a, an FYI. Um, Canada were the most improved side overall in the world. Rankings-wise, they went up 130.32 points. A massive gain for them. The national team played 19 matches this year. All of them competitive games. Not a friendly in sight, so that's quite a rarity. And crazy, really, considering how little they've played competitive matches in recent years as well. 14 World Cup qualifiers. Five Gold Cup matches. And out of those 19 games, 13 wins, 4 draws, just 2 defeats. Both of those defeats coming at the hands of the traditional CONCACAF powerhouses of the US and Mexico. And both of those came in the Gold Cup. 55 goals scored by Canada. Just 11 goals given up over their 19 matches. There were 16 goal scorers altogether, along with 2 own goals. Kyle Lahren led the way on 14, Jonathan David on 7, Lucas Cavallini on 5, Alfonso Davies on 5, Junior Hoyle at 4, Tejon Buchanan 3, Stefan Estacchio 3, Theo Corbino 2, Mark Anthony K 2, Jonathan Osorio 2, and then one apiece for Broguard, Hutchison, Johnston, Laria, Stewing, and Wotherspoon. So we're going to split a rundown into pre- and post-Octo and throw the Gold Cup in there as well. So let's kick things off by looking at the pre-Octo World Cup qualifiers. Six matches played in the first and second World Cup qualifying rounds between March and June. 31 goals scored, just one goal against, and that was in the first match. There was a 5-1 win over Bermuda, an 11-0 win over the Cayman Islands, 7-0 win over Aruba, and then wrapping up that first stage with a 4-0 win over Suriname. Haiti were dispatched 1-0 in Haiti, 3-0 in Canada. Steve, what a start to the year. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, they climbed so much, and it's it's basically getting rid of all those dead times where they had no games and putting in all these games that they've had this year. So that's, that's the massive jump right there. But great start. They... Teams that they should have beaten um, all over the place. Um, you know, they deposited a lot of goals in the Cayman Islands. Um, 
I'm not sure what else they deposited while they're there, but they're oh, actually the games weren't there. Were they? They were in no. They were in North America, so no, nothing fishy going on there. Uh, uh-huh. But I, I, I'm still gutted that we couldn't go and do a road trip because that would have been a imagine going to Aruba and the Cayman Islands. Yeah, another year possibly. Yeah, um, Haiti was the game that we, I think we did the, uh, a live show for uh, a street uh, watch along. Yeah, um, not from Haiti. Was, no, not from Haiti. From from local. Um, yeah, but overall, a great start. Um, I know everybody, um, I remember that when they allowed that first goal to Bermuda, everybody was talking about that, about the <laughs> fact that Bermuda allowed that goal to Bermuda. But after that, they shut everybody up and they shut yeah. everybody out as well. Yeah, it was, uh, it was the beginning of something uh, pretty awesome. Like at the time you felt, okay, like this is, uh, they're crushing these teams they should be, but we've seen that it really was them laying a foundation and building uh, this squad and building a culture and um, the, yeah, the really, chemistry as well. Yeah, totally. Uh, just building towards what's been an absolutely exceptional year in, in the history of the, the, the men's national team. I think with those early games, you talk about the culture and the chemistry and everything. You saw players commit to going and playing in these matches, whereas in years past, some of the bigger players, some of the ones in the European club, Steve, they've pulled out. They haven't come over to these games. Yeah. Here <laughs> you had Fonzie, you had Lauren, you had guys, David, all coming over from Europe to play in games that you knew Canada were going to win comfortably, but they wanted to be a part of this. Yeah, and, and, and a lot to do with uh, the fact that in the past, people were always concerned about these locations in the uh, pitch, uh, you know, the, you know the the state of the pitch that they were playing on. Mm-hmm. In this the sense, that it was played in North America, so um, you didn't have to worry about that too much. So that helped, uh, but you definitely saw a commitment from a lot of players, um, players that we uh, heard about for the first time in a, in a lot of senses, like that that kind of popped up out of nowhere. Yeah, um, like Corbino and Stewing, they and yeah. like even David Wotherspoon, they all got the chance to shine in the in these matches. Yeah, and then you also got uh, like, and then, and then not only did you beat the teams we were supposed to, but going into that two legged uh, playoff, we exercised some demons uh, from the past, and this particular team exercised those demons because there were players on this team that played in that Gold Cup where they lost to Haiti. Um, so that was. Not only did they do what they're supposed to do, but they got past something that they had failed to get past in the past. And that, and that, like like Zach was mentioning, building a foundation that helped on that on to, to get on top of that foundation and 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 bury those bodies in the, in the deep in the ground. It it was a a first round of qualifying that ultimately you can only beat who's in front of you. And COVID has obviously helped Canada in a number of ways as well because the the hex became the octo. So it gave Canada this bigger opportunity to get in it as opposed to how it had originally looked, which was the journey from hell to go through all these teams to try and get a right to play a playoff spot. And you've gone from that to circumstances forcing an octo and then all of a sudden Canada's top of, of this octo, Zach. It's just so sweet. It's it's really a. I mean, we've talked a lot about how it's strange for the supporters of the of the men's national team to have so many like attacking options and see so many goals and so many wins and uh, dominating performances. But it's also strange, aside from maybe that uh, two thousand gold pu- gold cup uh, 
drawing of the straws or whatever it was. Aside <laughs> from that, if like it feels like Canada hasn't had so many things go their way that they like they had in 2021. Because you're right. I think going that long road, although I think this squad could have done it, I think it would not have been as beneficial for them as uh, a team and for them as as individuals as well. Yeah, and John Herdman deserves a lot of credit. I I know I kind of rankled him a little bit after the the Haiti game when I said to him, is your message to the team, look, we haven't achieved anything yet. There's still a long way to go. And he took that to mean that I was saying these results didn't count for anything. And that wasn't what I was meaning. And I explained that to him later. That what I was meaning by that is it's such a long way to go. You can celebrate getting to the octagon, which it was the first time that Canada had reached the final stage of World Cup qualifying since their, their quest for the 98 World Cup in France. The last game they played at that stage of the competition was November 16th, 1997. They only won once in that that round of the hex, and they got six points from their their ten games, finishing bottom of the table. Very changed days, but what I was meaning when I put that to John was: look, this is a long way to go. Yet yeah, celebrate this, but these are teams that if you want to be going to a World Cup, you have to be expecting to beat. So it's yeah. It's great to achieve it, but don't just get too carried away that, oh, we've we've done a lot here because the, the tough times are, are still to come. And I, I, I think once I explained exactly what I was meaning, he, he took it that I wasn't diminishing the, what they achieved because they did do well. And I think in these games as well, Steve, we, we saw, like Zach talked about the foundations, we saw this group come together and set up how they wanted to play in the Gold Cup, a competitive competition, how they wanted to approach the, these World Cup qualifiers. And in a lot of ways, these games have been better than friendlies could ever have been because they've had to get the job done, but it's let them find basically what this team is about. Yeah, it's, it's basically, uh, whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch, um, these games did establish that. Um, there were it basically helped them get to that next level. Uh, like it, it seemed like they, they, they were, they built this off this and to get to the gold cup and then to the octo, uh, you use the world gold cup to build to the octo. So it's almost like, like taking steps along the way. And, and they took it. There was a, rarely a misstep along the way in these, in these ones that they took. So it, it, it was a key to that, the formation that they started showing that the, I think we saw first time, I can't remember which game we saw it in the first time because there were times when they were playing four at the back, but at one point they switched to three. And I can't remember what game that was, but it, it, that's what we saw at that point. We, we were questioning, is this what they really wants to do or is this uh, due to circumstance of what he has available? And he's, he's, he's stepped, he kept with that formation and I think it's really proven well for them. Well, the World Cup qualifying action was put on hold for the summer but the international games were still coming thick and fast. It was the annual Gold Cup time again. At least that's how it feels. It's an annual Gold Cup sometimes. Canada were drawn in Group B. They <laughs> saw off Martinique 4-1, thanks to goals from Larn, Osorio, Stacchi and Corbineau. Then Haiti were dispatched by the same margin. Another brace from Larin, Estacchio, Horlet as well. Two penalties amongst the four goals. Then it was a 1-0 loss to the US to round off the group games. 
first minute winner for the US and KC. Shaquille Moore got that goal. It, it was an under understrength squad for both Canada and the US because some, some of the players that had been playing full seasons in Europe and been part of the World Cup qualifiers had been get, given the summer off and it was a chance for John Herbin to look at, at some young guys. But those group games saw Canada finish second in the group, setting up a quarter-final against Costa Rica in Texas. It was a comfortable 2-0 win for Canada. Junior Hoylet, Stefan Estacchio got the, the goals, as I always like to joke. It, it's not it's not your father's Costa Rica. Never mind your grandfather's Costa Rica. Very different-looking Costa Rica side. That saw Mexico awaiting in the semi-finals in Houston. And what a performance. In a somewhat controversial 2-1 loss, Pineda opened the scoring two minutes in at the first half stoppage time for Mexico. Tejan Buchanan though, tied things up three minutes before the hour mark. Max Cripo saved a penalty. Then, after a stoppage because of the Mexican fans' homophobic chants, Mexico got the winner eight minutes into stoppage time. Hector Herrera goal. Disappointing way to go out, Steve. But it was a tournament that showed Canada's depth, showed their talent, and it started what is becoming a more and more intriguing rivalry and some tetchiness with Mexico. Yeah, especially during that game, there was I think it was Richie Larea, uh was pronounced differently at the time, but Richie Larea, um he was he he seemed to something seemed to be said, and that's when Max Crepeau. Um, really got into like with some of those Mexican players as well. I think that was the time when that happened. Oh, yeah. So, and, as Max said when I asked him about that, it's like, oh, I've, I've, I've just had enough of this shit. Yeah, and and the, but the thing is, for for me, this this tournament was the Tejon Buchanan um, coming out party. He yeah, had done yeah. so much during with New England, uh, but this was the and he I think the World Cup qualifying. Uh, he, he was the main player in that thing, but this was at a bigger stage against bigger teams. And I think this is what really brought him to the limelight. I personally think that uh, this Mexico game probably put him on a lot of um, uh, radars for European teams, uh, which obviously uh, got his move to Belgium. I think this game in particular, because there's probably a lot of eyes on that, and they saw what he was doing in this game against top-quality opponents. Yeah, he's just come better and and better uh, as the the games go on with with Canada, with with the revolution. But I mean... Zach, that tournament and subsequent things that, that we'll get into, it has cemented Canada. We are a CONCACAF powerhouse now. There's no getting away from it. Folk might want to play it down and say, oh, no, not yet, not till we win something. But we are. With the players that we have and where they're playing and what their value is and what Canada's done against the US and Mexico, when you're getting under the Mexican skin to that extent, you know that they think that you're a rival to them. Yeah, I mean, the quality of Canada's players and what they're doing in their domestic leagues and what they've come together to do for the national team, yeah, has made them a power in CONCACAF. And I know that there's Mexican and American supporters who will scoff at that, but that's at their own own, own peril, as they've both found out in their, in their own way so far, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But um, for me, I, one thing I want to mention, though, before you go on, Zach, is that I think there are power in this group. There have been other teams in the past that have been become powers uh, during certain qualification stages. Yep. It's not an everlasting power at this point. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a power 
during this qualification stage. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, Costa Rica a few like uh, four or five years ago, or you know, they had a yeah. run of like a run about whatever six to eight years or whatever it was where. They well, were kind yeah, of like... as a Scottish fan that grew up watching us qualify from the '74 to the '98 World Cups, and then nothing. I know how easy something can suddenly stop and then you suddenly lose being any power at all. So, yeah, enjoy it while you can, but it, it might not be there forever. But Mexico and the US are powerhouses, and right now we are rivaling them. For real, yes. And, and you're right, Steve, they're not a powerhouse in terms of like a, like a natural or a guarantee qualifier for World Cups and that kind of stuff yet. But it, it feels like it's the beginning of them establishing themselves in that role. But you're, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It was just a. I mean, it, it could it, be a generation. Qualifying. It could yeah. be a special generation. Because the, the 86 guys, that was a special generation. This could be another generation. At least, hopefully, we'll get two World Cups out of them because we're obviously hosting the, the next one. So, at least two World Cups, hopefully, for, for this generation. And generations come and go. And as I said with Scotland, sometimes you end up with. A couple of generations that, that you're missing. But I, I think we're doing things right in Canadian soccer just now. And we said on the last show, it's a very exciting time for, for Canadian soccer. And the world is taking notice. People in Scotland say to me, oh, that, that guy that plays for Canada, dimension like Jonathan David or Fonzie's the, the guy that so many folk talk about. And... Obviously, with Arfield having been over here, and to a lesser extent, Wotherspoon, that's got people noticing about Canada as well. And, and folk are starting to think, wow, Canada is a, a footballing nation, and it's fantastic to see. Last little bit about Mexico just now, and we, we talked about this a lot, so we won't delve too much into it. Their games are still getting stopped for these fan chants. Surely, it is at the stage now that it has to be point deductions, because it's not... It, it's it's being a hindrance to the opponents. Well, isn't the next two? I've heard somewhere that the next two games are behind closed doors now. But I, I still don't know that that has that big an impact on. Them. Yeah, but well, I know it, that it, it doesn't. The federation too, because they lose money, right? Oh well, yeah, it hits them in the pocket. And it might also hurt them long term for their TV deal. I don't. I, I mean, that's maybe too much speculation. <laughs> but I mean, it, you're right. It, it is becoming. You saw it in Edmonton, like. There was an announcement made at halftime in Edmonton that, hey, uh, racist chants or homophobic chants or inappropriate chants need to stop. Otherwise, this was phase one or whatever they call it. Right. And so, yeah, you and you saw, like you said, the Gold Cup, like they can I think their fans know that they can sort of weaponize this. And maybe that's an unfair way to think about it, but it feels like that's what's sort of happening. And so, yeah, I think. FIFA, CONCACAF, they need to, if they really want this to not happen in stadiums, then they really need to go to the next level because this level, I don't think, is really working. The, 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 one, the one radical thing that came into my head during that time, because it, like you say, you have stoppages of games. Um, the one thing is, is that maybe uh, eventually you give a red card to the Mexican team and they have to take a player off during, in that game. Huh. So that's something that... It might be down the road, maybe five years down the road, maybe sooner. I don't know. But that's something that they could look at because clearly, or like you said, point deductions. Uh, but the thing is, they, they're taking the player off the pitch. That has an immediate impact in that game. And yeah. it will stop it from happening. So then the other side of this thing, though, is, is too, right? If they did that, Steve, 
then you can, you can have other people uh, faking that they're doing exactly. that. Chant. No, exactly. that's hundred percent. In, in the same way, where some of the the racist stuff that happened, like I mean, we don't have to just have this whole conversation, but some of the racist stuff that happens in Italy is supposedly not done because the people are racist. It's because they want to throw. Uh, players that they're being, off, off they're, their game. They want to throw them off their game. Yeah, yeah. So they're not saying like, "Get yeah, this who I am." They're but saying, then, "I know if I say the thing, it's going to make him not play well." But in these games, if you have specific spotters where you can actually watch people where the chants are coming from, then you could possibly do that. Like if you have specific people on on like FIFA officials or something or Concacaf officials watching it, this, it's getting to the farcical stage now that I kind of half expect the stoppages to be like. This stoppage for a homophobic chant is brought to you by... And they'll end up just getting some sponsorship money out of it. Oh, my. But that seems a, a good place for us to take a little break just now. We've looked at the first half of the year. We've looked at the qualification that got Canada to the octo. We've looked at the distraction that was the Summer's Gold Cup. We're going to be back looking at the first eight games of the octo. Eight games... That saw Canada finish the year the number one team in CONCACAF. And we'll be back looking at all of that after this. This is Atiba Hutchinson and you're listening to the AFTN Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our new Artist of the Month here at AFTN, our first Artist of the Month for 2022, blowing some of the New Year cobwebs out of your ears there, from Edinburgh, Scotland, Punk Legends, The Exploited, with a title track, from their seminal 1981 debut album that was Punk's Not Dead. And if you're long-time listeners to the AFTN Soccer Show, you'll know that we feel that Punk's Not Dead and we have got some punk classics coming up from the exploited over this month. You might want to turn your volume down a little bit. But let's get back to the football chat now. So in the first part of this episode, we looked at the initial World Cup qualifiers that got Canada into the octagon. In this part, we're going to look to see how that has started. We all know it's finished well. 
We all know Canada's in a good position, but let's get looking at how the first eight games in the Octo has played out for Canada. I'm going to break it down into the, the three windows and we'll, we'll talk about e each window uh, as it kind of happened just to kind of round this bit off. So the eight remaining teams in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying entered the octagon on September 2nd. Canada kicked off their campaign with, let's be honest, a disappointing and maybe nervy one-all home draw with Honduras. Both teams scored penalties. Honduras in the first half before Kyle Lahren replied in the 66th minute. Three days later, it was another 1-0 draw. This time though, a big result. In Nashville, away to the US, Aronson had opened the scoring in the 55th minute for the Yanks before Lahren again tied it up seven minutes later. Three days after that, back home, first win of the campaign, comfortable 3-0 win in Toronto over El Salvador, they got in quick, they got the job done, that was the, the clear message that they carried out. Atiba opened the scoring six minutes in, David added a second five minutes later before Buchanan rounded it off in the 55th minute. Five points from the, the first three games, Steve. After the first two draws, it was like, oh no, are, have we overblown this team? Is this going to be tougher than we thought? And then El Salvador kind of steadied the nerves. Yeah. They've not really looked back since, since then. No, but I still every time I look at the the, uh, the 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 table, the Concacaf table, first thing that pops in my head is that Honduras game. Yeah. Uh, every single time I go, if they had the won that game, it would have been another two points. Now, personally, if you look at you know how we talk about, oh, if you lose points at home, you got to make them up on the road. I feel they have made them up on the road because they mm -hmm. they drew the U.S. and they drew Mexico. Not expecting those games to be that those results to happen. That's so in fair. a way, in a way, they've kind of made up those points. But still, you look at the standings and you say they would be two points away from everybody else if they had just not. And I, I agree with you. I think it was 100% nerves in, in that in that because it was the opening game. I kind of wish that their opening game was on the road, um, so they mm -hmm. weren't like having to be in front of their own home fans. Like even in Latin America, you kind of wish that home game was in Latin America. They get it off. Even if they lost the game, you still it's off the books. They move on from there. But overall, a fantastic first window, considering that they were undefeated. I mean, a, a lot of folk when you talk to them in the Canadian team and John Herdman, the players, that's like, yeah, we don't we don't listen to the hype. We don't get carried away with the hype. It, it's hard not to. And like, even when I spoke to Max last month uh, in our end of season chat, he's like, he tries not to think too far ahead. But they must know how close they are to get into a World Cup. And that is going to make you nervy. And then when you do go behind, you maybe start to overthink things. And I mean, they, they came back well. It, it, looking back on it now, I think some of the reaction over after that Honduras draw was a, a little bit over the top. But we kind of expect that on social media for any national team Twitter. But they, they've come back so well from that. And... It was a, a slow but steady first window of the campaign. The, the thing with the, the Honduras, the Honduras dropping of points is it, it's Honduras, and so there's this. Did you think that's the team we could be yeah. up against for the last spot or something? Well, no. Well, yeah. There's that, but there's also just hey, Honduras has crushed our hopes and dreams in the past, mm. and it felt a little bit like yeah, the nerves and whatever. I agree with Steve about it, it would have been way better if they were on the road. 
Um, but the nerves around that and stuff, uh, it just felt a little bit like, oh no, did our hopes, did we get our hopes up again? All for this to come crashing down. And we dropped two points at home already. And it's against Honduras, who has been the bane of our existence in qualifying in the past. Uh, and so it just, it, it, it was just not, not, it was not great. But you're right. In the end, it was like a slow but steady uh, first, you know, window, first three games to, to qualifying that they obviously used as a launching point um, in, the, in the next two windows. Well, yeah. So the October window, it kicked off with two draws two road draws, 1-1 in Mexico, which amazing. To go to the Aztec and come away with anything was fantastic. And then 0-0 in Jamaica on a horrible pitch that they played not of their own accord on, but they were forced to play in that horrible pitch. And that was another one, though, that you felt, oh, have they thrown two points away because Jamaica's a team that they, they maybe could and should have been beaten. But now you've seen other teams go down there and it's like, oh, you know what? That wasn't a, a bad result at all. But that that one one in Mexico, I, I was going to say that's the one that really stands out this year. But I guess the two one win over Mexico in November yeah. probably stands out but, more because they got the three points. But yeah, but the the thing is, going into that place where I think we mentioned before, there's only a few teams in qualifying in Concacaf. I can't remember the numbers exactly. Uh, but we brought it up on a previous yeah, show. Yeah, something like that. No team had done it since the 40s or the 50s. Or... And, and and I believe no team has gotten points in qualifying from the U.S. and Mexico ever. Mm. No other team has done that. So that's a huge step there. Um, I could be wrong on those numbers. So uh, let us know if, if there are wrong. Uh, but go, that going into that location, that would probably be like the biggest moment of the year. And the fact that they felt they dropped points in Mexico. Yeah, that they felt they should yeah. have won that game. That's oh, they, that, should, they should have won that game. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying the mentality. Oh yeah, to you come away be, thinking that. that shows yeah, coming away how far that, you've come. Exactly, and that's I think that that's the moment. Probably uh, there's other moments. Obviously, Sam jumping in the snow, like particular moments, but that overall moment or for the mentality of the team. That, that I think that showed a big there. Then there was the huge game in Toronto. As an informed Panama, who have definitely been the surprise package of the, the Octo qualifying, they came to town, took the lead five minutes in through Rolando Blackburn, Tony as he's known to his friends. Canada fought back though, with an own goal, tying it up in the first half before they took over, basically in the second half, thanks to goals from Fonzie and Tejon Buchanan and Jonathan David. Are we saying that that Fonzie goal was the goal of the year? I think it has to be. How can it not be? Like I, I'm meaning, like worldwide. Oh, 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 oh. Um, Obviously, sorry. from a Canadian perspective, but it won't, it won't win the Puskas Award. But no, it, it's it, right it, up there, though. It, it is. It should win the Puskas Award, though, because of what, like that burst of speed to keep it in, and I, we won't go into it again. But absolutely terrible defending by the Panamanian to to try and usher that ball out and not just kick it into row Z. But, I mean, everything that Fonzie did with that, his his skill, his pace, the sublime finish, uh, it's right up there for one of the best goals of, of the year worldwide for me. Yeah, and, and, and the one thing I really want to see, uh, if somebody can edit this, I, I probably could, but I don't really feel like doing it. If we can put like an audio meep meep when he gets the ball from, because uh, <laughs> he's nicknamed the Roadrunner. Meep meep. So, you, like, you need to use the Thomas Muller clip. 
Yeah, so you get oh, yeah. beep and then even put like a like the coyote's head on the Panamanian player or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, that that probably is goal of the year for Canada uh, for the men's side. Uh, I wouldn't say goal of the year overall, but definitely for the men's side. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Interesting. But but I mean, the goal of the year for the women's side is more about meaning than it is about the quality of the goal. That's the most no, quality exactly. goal of the year. Yeah. That's why I call it the goal of the year for that. Yeah. 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 As we discovered when we did our awards, we look at things like goal of the year, save of the year. From from we come at it from different things, but that's good. That's what makes the show so good. Now there was some aggro at the end of both halves of this Panama game, which is going to make for a very interesting return trip down there. That is not going to be a comfortable trip for the Canadians, but I I love my aggro. And I love a little bit of bite, and it shows that Canada is doing things right, and that Canada has learned how to conquer calf, basically. And that's what we've needed to do for a while. Yeah, it's good to show the they have a, a fighting spirit that they're also willing to back up in terms of you know standing up for each other. Um, and so far, I would say for the most part, they haven't gone like over the top where they've done things that will you know, harm, harm them, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm pretty. And they've been good at walking away as well and not getting embroiled because it'd be so easy. Like Richard Larea is such a good player. And we've talked about this in the show. He needs to calm it down a notch because other teams are going to see that and try and pick on him and try and get him sent off either during the game or after the, the final whistle. So he needs yeah. to kind of hone that anger. Max is starting to show that kind of side as well, that you maybe just want to just dial it down a little bit. And I, I love it, but I'm just worried about like repercussions. The two home games in November, two important wins in Edmonton. We've talked about them recently, so we won't go too much into it. But 1-0 over Costa Rica, 57th minute winner from Jonathan David. Then the big statement game, 2-1 over Mexico, a Laren double, either side of half time, having them in dreamland. Herrera made it interesting in the last minute, and it, it was it was more nervy than it needed to be and should have been. But Canada finished the year first in the octo on 16 points, one ahead of the US, two ahead of Mexico and Panama. There's a seven-point gap now between Canada and Costa Rica in fifth. We've got one foot on the plane. At the very, very worst, we've got one foot in the, the playoff game likely against New Zealand. It's just, it's been an amazing 2021. And when you think what we're on the cusp of doing, Steve, it just fills you with so much excitement for just what is to come in the in the next year. Yeah, um, I like my PTSD has gone down quite a bit as these <laughs> matches have gone on. So I, 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 I'm able to watch the game somewhat comfortably. Um, but, um, uh, for me until they qualify, I probably will have still like, uh, uh, you know, peering out of my eyes, covering my face at certain points, but they are making me more and more confident as the thing goes, uh, as the, as the qualification goes on. And like I said, all they need is like, I, I think they just need like a couple, a couple of wins, a couple of draws, and they should be in that uh, qualification for the world cup. Well, if we look at what's to come or what is to hopefully come, because plans have already changed, Canada were meant to be heading to Florida this month to have a training camp before their three World Cup qualifiers at the end of January going into February. 
A friendly was scheduled to get played against Guatemala, but today that has been blown out of the water already. The camp has been cancelled. Covid precautions have rightly kicked in. And to make things even more complicated, there is some big concerns about the European players right now because three of the the top Canadian players, Jonathan David, Kyle Lahren, Alfonso Davies, all having now tested positive for COVID in the last couple of days, all of them having to go into quarantine. Obviously, different countries have different rules, but you're kind of looking that it's going to be a 14-day quarantine period for them. Still does not rule them out of the, the next three games that are coming up, but it's certainly far from ideal preparation. You obviously want to make sure that they're at peak physical conditions, and depending how bad they, they've actually got COVID this time around, will kind of determine how much training they can do, etc., etc., to give you an indication, one of my best friends in, in Scotland right now, John and his wife, they, they're triple vaxxed. He works in a hospital, she works in a care home. They've tested positive for Omicron, so they're now isolating for seven days. And he feels like shit. He's like choked up with what feels like a really bad flu and just aching all over. So we don't know how bad these three players are, but you you hope it's more on the mild side because that is not ideal preparation for, for the games coming up. So, I mean, we'll look at the, the remaining six World Cup qualifiers that are currently penciled in, but I, I guess we have to say with a caveat just now, we just don't know what effect COVID could have on these matches right now. January 27th, away to Honduras. January 30th, home to the US in a sold-out Hamilton. Again, we'll see whether it will be a sold-out Hamilton with fans and stuff. Hopefully things can calm down to allow that to happen. February 2nd, away to El Salvador. March 24th, away to Costa Rica. March 27th, home to Jamaica. March 30th, away to Panama. I don't think it will, but you don't want to be heading to Panama in that last game needing any sort of result at all, Zach. But well, especially if you uh, if you feel like you need to sleep before the, ma- the match. Yes, and judging on how the last one finished as well. But like, just what I, I asked Steve there, it's like when you look at what could be to come in twenty twenty two. It's hard not to get carried away, and it's hard not to get too excited. <clears throat> and in a year's time, we could be sitting here talking about Canada at a World Cup and how they've done and hopefully pretty good playing uh, Scotland in the final and sadly going down to a 2-1 defeat my my son in the car today kept on making up his own lyrics to uh, you know we're going to Qatar <laughs> to, to what should you know uh, now you're going to believe us oh I know you don't believe us or whatever oh we're, we're going, going to, to Qatar yeah we're going to Qatar yeah. He needs he needs to work on his rhyming, but it was quite fun. How many uh, f bombs did he drop? Uh, he didn't say franchise at all. Oh, okay. um, so yeah, I mean it, it is it uh, it's hard not to see this ending well, um, and that's doesn't just feel like you know uh, doesn't feel naive mm. like it has in the past. Um, it, it, it's realistic. I mean, I know I know folk are superstitious and it's like oh don't jinx it don't get too far ahead but like realistic it's ours to blow 
And if they blow it, it's unforgivable. Let's be honest about that as well, the position that they're in. Yeah, I mean, they need to they would they, like they need to qualify. Yeah, what this would do to the psyche of the team uh, as well would be oh, totally. And here's the, here's the other thing. When you know you're talking about Steve, you're looking at the it would standings. do a lot to me too, by the way. <laughs> yes, when you look at the standings and you look at the results and stuff, Steve, like you were mentioning before, the thing that stands out to me the most when I look at it is every one of those draws. I think we could have and or should have won. Yeah, a lot of them. You know, a lot so of them. It feels like. Feels like yeah, we should we should be on you know whatever it is 20, 24 points. Yeah, but, but um, uh, yeah. So it feels hard. Like, and I know if there's Americans listening, this might be laughing or whatever. But like, yeah, it it feels like we're so close. Like we, it and it's, like it's we not again. Stopped. It's not being cocky, but it's being realistic as to how we're looking. And like I say. The very worst case scenario, bar an absolute collapse, is you're in a playoff against the likely Oceania side, which is likely going to be New Zealand, but we'll see. Let's just round this off by talking about some individual players and like players of the, the year for the national team. I want you to, to give me your top three national team performers, and you can do it in order, or you can just do it as your three three players. In, in the media vote, and I, I didn't vote this year because... I did. See, did I, I didn't because I don't like these kind of media votes because I feel it's skewed and you don't get the proper result. Yeah, but but you put in your votes. If you don't put in your votes, then you're I, not going to change I, it. I know. It's like politics. If you don't vote, you can't complain about the government, I guess. But yeah. Fonzie won the official... Canada Soccer Player of the Year. He won the media vote. For me, he wasn't even in the, the top three, but I could make a case for him being third. For, for my top three, I've got my Player of the Year as Kyle Larn. I think he was robbed in the voting. He had 14 goals for the national team. He won a League and Cup double in Turkey. Like, club and country, he performed, he contributed... He was, for me, the Canada Soccer Player of the Year. Jonathan David won a French league title and the Trophy des Champions. Seven goals for the national team. I'd probably have him as the second player for me. And then it was a toss-up between Fonz and Tejon Buchanan. But I think with the season that Tejon had and how he came onto his game domestically and internationally, I, I would have given him my, my third-place vote. What about yourself, Steve? I, I I actually voted and I put David number one. I did put Laren number two, but I put Davies number three. I typically do put somebody in North America as the third player, uh, but in this case, it was hard to rule out the three those three players, those top three players for me. Um, I couldn't see justify putting Buchanan in there, even though I think he's probably had a fantastic. He's probably had the most meteor meteoric uh, rise of all any of those three players, uh, but. David, for me, in the French League, being a top scorer, I think that's that's massive. I No disrespect to the Turkish League, but I think that's a little bit harder than doing it in the Turkish League. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with Steve on, on all accounts, actually. I would put David first and probably Kyle Aaron second. And I would only put Davies third because the Bayern season was so poor. In, 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 in a, in I know. He cost the manager his job. Oh, my. 
Um, I thought we were going to leave that 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 old gag in twenty. Oh no, we we yeah. re- we revisit gags from twenty thirteen. We're never going to let this one die. Okay, but yeah, so I I I, I couldn't I, I you can might be like young player of the year, up and coming player of the year, yeah, something like that. But I would put so I would go David Learn and uh, and Davies if it was me. For me, if, if there was a most improved player, it would be Buchanan. Not that he was horrible before, yeah. but the, just the rise that he had. Well, yeah, him and him and Alistair Johnson. I was going to say Alistair Johnson. Let, let's just finish by talking about Alistair Johnson. He's got a big move to Montreal, and you look at that deal, and you're like, I, yeah, Whitecaps got Tristan Blackman for probably half of that. I would have spent double and tried to get him. I mean, maybe he didn't want to come here. Maybe they didn't want to do business with us. I don't think that is the case. But if he was available for that price, you pull the trigger. It, it makes more sense for Nashville to do want to do business with us because they're in the same conference with Montreal. So I, well, I no, because Nashville's now in the West. Switched. Yeah, oh, they switched. Oh, yeah. maybe, that, maybe they did do. Yeah, they're going to like... switch back again, probably. But yeah, yeah. It. it I mean, as as uh, as encouraging as the Blackman deal, I think is for Vancouver fans in general. It, it when you see this happen, you're just like, what? Like why would yeah. you not? Why would you not spend? Especially because it's what a million, but it's over two years, right? Yeah. Well, it's not even all in one go, and it just feels like, is this, is this the stereotype of, which in some ways is maybe not true, but is this the stereotype of the Whitecaps not really allocating the right amount of money to the right thing? Like it just it it feels it feels weird. Maybe. Maybe that was an allocation thing. Maybe they had a certain amount of money they wanted to spend on a center back, and they didn't yeah, want maybe. to spend it on a, on a, on a, on on that much on there. Because um, I guess the one thing Blackman's coming as a center back, whereas Johnson's more he'd have been like a wing back. Well, we don't know he what plays, he's going to play. He plays both, and he yeah. plays yeah. for the national team. He, but that's that's the one positive. Considering we're talking about the national team, the fact that he went to Montreal, um, he'd been yeah. playing with Kamal Miller. And that's good chemistry. Oh, yeah, and, and like Joe Waterman as well. You could be looking at an all-Canadian back line and it could really push Joe Waterman back into the picture again as well. But again, it also makes like makes their uh, what's uh, electrical Bill Bow comments like mm. less meaning like less meaningful when you like here was like I don't know. There's to me there's far more upside to Alistair Johnston than there's to Tristan Blackman, and I I would rate him as a better player. Period. You so, have to because he was cost more too. So as I, I think everybody agrees with that. But yeah. I just don't understand. I, I, I don't know if it's like they just didn't rate him, didn't think he was available, didn't try. Like it'd be nice to know. It'd be nice to know that. <laughs> but, well, they're not going to tell us because that's that's something internal stuff. But I'll, I'll me, ask Fanny and see what he says. <laughs> yeah, for me, it could be very much that they had a certain amount of money they wanted to spend on positions, and they didn't have that much to allocate towards center back. The, the Montreal's always had. Like they've always had a strong attack. It's just their center backs. Yeah. Um, these a certain center back left their team this year, and so obviously this is a good replacement for him. Or, but, or but like slightly better. <laughs> but the, to, to me is, Alistair Johnson fits what they want to do even more than Blackman. Yeah, I agree. As as a bigger club, because there's a greater chance I think for you to move him with his international status to move mm-hmm. him onto Europe and sell him and make not funny money, make real money. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. It doesn't make a difference to me because at this point, it's the, for the national team. I think it works out well. So. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. It's a national team I, review. I say good on them. I, I and also I don't like Whitecaps having so many Canadians just in case they all happen to go at the same time and be 
rear light hit, but oh, that and, that's just yeah. me being. And he's one that would club. go. He's one that yeah, he's definitely would yeah. be going. It, it feels like you know I talk about the the darts TV show Bullseye. At the end of that, when the the couple didn't win the star prize, the host Jim Bowen would bring them over to the star prize and go, "Let's have a look at what you could have won." That's what it kind of yeah. feels like with, totally. with Alistair Johnston just now. But that is pretty much it for our our look back at the the national team and our year in review. I just want to finish with a, a fun little bit of audio. So it's a it's been an exciting time for Canadian soccer. It's got everyone talking about it at national level, domestic level. There's, there's a buzz about the game in this country. So towards the end of last year, I asked some of the, the CPL coaches just if they've noticed how the, the growth of the game here has generated a buzz in the local community and how Canada's success, what, what it's meant to them locally. So we're going to hear a little bit from Tommy Wilden Jr., Jim Brennan and Bobby Smyrniotis. I wanted to change the subject just a little bit, Tommy. You're coming up for 20 years here in Canada. You've seen a lot of growth in the game. You've, you've been involved from grassroots level up to pro level. When you look at the Canadian national team and the growth that they've had and where they are just now, just what do you put that down to and just how have you viewed this development since you first came here? Uh, do you know what? It's been uh, as small as my role has been in this change of the landscape of Canadian football. It's It's been a very much enjoyable one. I've said all along, you know, this is a country that I've been adopted by and it was always my part to help, you know, bring and change and, and be one that, as John Erdman put it, put a shovel in the ground and say, look, we'll, we'll, we'll do what we can to help you. And I think you're seeing that from coast to coast. And what I've also witnessed is there's not a linear pathway to the top. I look at the Canadian team that was out there now and you look at Alfonso Davis that came out of, you know, Edmonton Strikers into the Whitecaps Academy, into Bayern Munich and through. And I look at Sam Adekubi that, you know, was here at Calgary Foothills and then went to Whitecaps and through. And you look at Alistair Johnson that three years ago, he was playing for Vaughan um, men's team in the uh, Campiel against, oh, sorry, the Canadian Championship against um, Halifax. There's just this non-linear way, but everybody's finding a way. Cream always rises to the top. And I've told a lot of people, as I imagine you have, Michael, back home, that just be careful because this is a talented country. What really pleases me now since the 20 years that I've been here is the investment in the infrastructure in the game. We've always had the talent. It's always been that 15, 16-year-old that, you know, if they didn't have an EU passport or, you know, picked up by one of the MLS teams, they went to college and then became engineers or journalists or doctors. And I'm sure paid a, a ton more than the, the professional players get right now. But for those that have stayed on point, you've seen the ownership groups in this Canadian Premier League and the MLS that are now having not only stadiums, but training facilities and academies. And now you're getting, you know, there's now development pathways, which is no different to the NHL having the WHL. And you've seen it with me when we were at Calgary Foothills in the PDL. You've got to have those development pathways. You know, the next step, you know, with obviously the women winning the gold is obviously having a, a women's professional league too. And suddenly now people around the world are go. <laughs> Canada have got it. And when the ripple effect of the 2026 World Cup comes through, it will last for generations. Have you noticed a bigger buzz in Calgary in general just about the game? Obviously, Edmonton was buzzing the other night, but since since Cavalry started, have you noticed that the 
there's more folk talking about the game. Like when I came over for that Whitecaps game, when I checked in the hotel, because it was during the Stampede, and they said, oh, you're here for the Stampede? And I was like, no, I'm here for the soccer. And the girl looked baffled as to their soccer. It's like, have have you noticed the interest in the game rise a lot more the last couple of years there? Yeah, definitely, because for the longest time, you'd get on a WestJet flight to travel somewhere from whether it was Calgary or coming back to Calgary, and people would always ask what soccer team you are. But now they'll say, oh, you're the Calgary. Oh, you play at Spruce Meadows. Or, you know, I can get stopped now grocery shopping, and I'll be with my 12-year-old son, and they'll st- stop to talk about it or stop for pictures. And you're like, this is now... Yeah, this is now we, we, we've, we've put our stake in the ground and that speaks volumes to our ownership group here and, and the performance on the pitch as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it was starting to get be a recognisable one. And we've always said we wanted to be, you know, part of the great sporting fabric here in Calgary. And, you know, you look at what the Flames has done, you look at what the Stampede has done. We obviously got the, you know, the COP or wind sport as it's called now. And I think, you know, with Spruce Meadows being here known for its equestrian and football, we're, we're a great sporting city, and I think we've been welcomed into that conversation. Now, you've been involved in the Canadian game for a number of years now, all levels from, from grassroots up, and you've seen the success of the CPL. Everyone knows how, how much it was needed. When you look now at the success of the national team, the success of Forge on, on the international stage as well, and club competition, how do you look back at this growth nationally but also in your community as well and do you feel there's a bigger buzz about the game of soccer in your community a hundred percent you know i think uh i think that's the simplest way of putting it uh but you know you go back uh 10 years ago and you say where can canadian soccer be and there's two things you talk about one it's we need this exceptional talent that's being developed in this country that's playing as youth players to be able to keep on playing the game beyond youth that was the first challenge. And we saw that that started happening a lot more. And some of that happened through professional soccer. And a lot of it happened through playing in, in college and university soccer, um, just because you didn't have that next level. So you needed to find that gap in between. Um, then you knew we needed our own professional league. 100% we needed a professional league. And I think all of that stuff just this has driven the game forward. And we've had this multitude of talented players who now weren't just youth players who were trying to figure out their path after. Uh, but actually had a path, uh, whether that took them uh, through the U.S. or through Europe. And we see these players succeeding. And, and once you have that, the game just starts growing, uh, growing exponentially very quickly. You had nearly a decade playing for the national team. And there was some success during that time, at gold cups and stuff like that. Could you have ever imagined that the programme would be where it is now from where it was when you were there? And have you noticed a different buzz in the community and in soccer circles that there's more interest in the game now? Yeah, there is. You know, I think with uh, when you look at it with with our national team, you know, it was all the the players were playing overseas. It wasn't really a domestic domestic league when when I was younger and um, you had to head overseas and with Major League Soccer, now the Canadian Premier League, it's it's creating more of a buzz around the country. Um, and it helps as well that the national team, that program is is on a high right now. The players that they have on paper, it's it's absolutely amazing to see and, and to see where they are. And look, for them beating Mexico at home and, and the next morning, you know, looking at your phone, seeing the standings and Canada's on top, um, 
when have we ever seen that before? Um, and that buzz is massive for them to get 50,000 for, for those two games. And even when they're in Toronto, they get huge crowds. Um, and I think it's like anything, especially in Canada and, you know, people want to be a, a part of success and people want to be a part of something that's winning and something that has a, a momentum. People want to jump on that train and, and people are doing that right now. Um, you know, they're, they're buying into that, that program and, uh, it's exciting to see. Um, and it's great with the, with the Canadian Premier League as well, with teams across the country, the support, um, your, your people that weren't big football fans all of a sudden now are starting to become football fans. They're starting to come out to Canadian Premier League games. They're going out to MLS games now. Now they're following the national team. So that buzz is there and everybody seems to be jumping on board with it. And that's what we need. We, we 100% needed that national team to, to be where it is today and be successful. Um, and if they get to the World Cup, it's just going to grow this game in this country even more. So that was just some of the thoughts of the CPL head coaches on what the growth of the national team and the game in Canada has, has meant to them at a local level and what, what they've seen and the excitement grow about everything like that. But that is it for our national team year in review podcast. For the men, at least. We hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back soon with another one focusing on the women. But that's not quite it for this AFTN Soccer Show because we've still got time for this episode's wavelength. And what I'm going to do this month, since it's a a new month for a new year and it's a World Cup year and it's a World Cup month if the qualifiers hopefully get underway at the the end of this month back in CONCACAF, I'm going to play all wavelength songs this month that's got a World Cup flavour. So songs that were brought out for specific teams, countries or World Cup finals. And I'm going to kind of have a a good split. I'm not just going to play all Scottish ones, mainly because I have played a lot of the Scottish ones already. But I am going to kick things off though with a Scottish one. And it's a song from 1974 as Scotland got set to head off to Germany for the World Cup finals over there. And we've played a version of this song before in that it was sampled by a group called The George Squares, which was a project by Mick Derrick from Prolapse. Um, he had a song called Easy Easy, 1974 to 1998. We played that song back in episode 229 of the show, which was in November 2017. Seems like a lifetime ago now, but this is the original version I'm going to kick off World Cup Wavelength with this month. This is Scotland's 1974 World Cup squad and a song called Easy Easy.
Mbappé looking at his watch. And that's it! Congratulations, Scotland. Well done, boys. Joe Jordan, the winner. Willie Horn went out on the edge of the track. Fans breaking onto the pitch at the far end. The substitutes are on. Look at Billy Bramler's face. What a team effort this has been. Fans are on the pitch. Police are chasing them off. Absolute bedlam. And the crowd, the crowd want a lap of honour for Scotland. They won't let them leave this field. Scotland's 1974 World Cup squad there with their song Easy Easy as they get ready to head off to the 1974 World Cup finals in Germany which proved to be not so easy for Scotland as they were bounced out in the first round. Undefeated though, they went home on goal difference after beating Zaire and then drawing with Yugoslavia and Brazil. Scotland only managing to beat Zaire 2-0 in their opening match is what ultimately cost them moving on into the next round and it was such a quality Scottish team at the 1974 finals. If they had got through that group stage you'd just have to, to wonder what could have been for them. But that is also a quality song, a great example of World Cup music. We'll bring you some more this month and that one was very much of the times from 1974. It's got that glam rock, that Bay City Rollers feel to it. Hope you enjoyed that one. It's certainly one of my favourite songs from a kind of football team singing football songs part of the genre. We'll have another one next episode. But that is it now for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Just before we go though, Steve, let everyone know where they can find you online. Um, Any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat, and no matter how you pronounce it, Richard Dorena, good player. Zach? Uh, I am, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at ZacharyAM, and uh, this has been the, the greatest year of to follow the men's national team, and I cannot wait for all that 2022 has in store for them. I completely echo that. I'm Michael McCall. Find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. All our stuff's on AFTN.ca. It's going to be an exciting 2022. I still have this dream. Canada and Scotland are going to be in Qatar. I'm probably not going to be there. There's no hotels. There's a lot of other things coming into it as well. But if the teams are there, we'll be watching on TV. Good luck to them. Until next time, thanks for listening. Take care. And allez la rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
ਏ